All right, tweets away. We're ready to go. What is up, everybody? Swags with you today. No prop. I know everybody who saw some of the posts earlier were hoping the prop would be able to make it. First, I thought he was going to be able to make it. Then it turns out he can't. I'll let him comment on what happened today and why he can't. It's kind of funny. I won't tell the story, or maybe I will later. But we're getting after it. It's Saturday, July 21st. Make sure I look at the date. Sometimes I get that wrong. And I got a lot of things I want to get into. So the first thing that I wanted to start with, um, this is pretty crazy. And actually, I was blown away by this. So if you notice here, this this gigantic uh, mug here, or I don't even know what you call it, like a growler almost, right? It's huge. It, it, it might be 36 ounces or 24. I don't know. It's gigantic. I haven't tried to use it yet. I just got it in the mail yesterday. So a friend of the show, Brad, a.k.a. Big Lock from Deer Valley Engraving, hits me up earlier this week, and he says, hey, man, I want to send you something. And it's incredible. And if you guys can see, the logo is engraved on there. So the outside of this is uh, sort of a matte black finish over this uh, stainless steel cup on the inside, and it's engraved into the black, and it looks amazing. So big shout out to Brad for hooking it up. If you guys need any kind of engraving work done, Deer Valley Engraving, I have the information here. I'm going to put Brad's information into the description portion of the video when I repost. If you want to get a hold of him for anything, hit me up. I'll connect you guys. Uh, his work is incredible, as you can see here. Um, I didn't even send him the logo. He just pulled it, so that's the kind of tech he's got. So anything you guys need, Brad will take care of you. Big ups. So um, before we get into a lot of the sports talk, there's one thing that I did want to talk about, which is sort of sports related, but I talk about this every year. So Wednesday was the ESPYs, and I'm not big into the ESPYs, honestly. Um, I don't care much about the awards and that sort of thing because I just don't. I mean, who's picking that kind of stuff? I don't know. It's whatever. But the one thing about ESPY Day is it always brings up the Jimmy V Foundation, right? Because they always go through the Jimmy V speech and every year it's amazing what ESPN does. And I, I don't think it gets said enough about what ESPN does for Jimmy V, the foundation and for cancer research. So every year on the SB day, they auction off like a bunch of, I don't know what you call them, like events with ESPN personalities. And it's fantastic. I mean, I wanted to bid on the Levitard show one and end up going for like 21 K, which obviously I don't have sitting around. Uh, but big ups to them. And they donate 100% of the proceeds to cancer research, which, again, I don't think enough gets said for charities that do that. I mean, I'm sort of a sucker for all these online bracelets, right? Like I'm wearing a couple. I mean, I have mine on another one where they donate like 20% of the proceeds. ESPN does 100% to the Jimmy V Foundation. So um, I always tweet about it. I always share it, and I always say on that day, I don't care if you like sports or not. It's a day to tune into ESPN. It's, it's incredible. All right, so <laughs> I got some funny stuff that I wanted to go over here in the beginning. I think you guys are going to like it a lot. So where I wanted to start actually was the World Series of Poker went off last weekend into early in the week, the final table. Um, but the thing that struck me about this was, I don't know if any of you guys out there watched the World Series of Poker, 
but I didn't. And I can remember myself in past years, especially when I was in my youth, right? Back in like 2003 when Chris Moneymaker won it, we were all in on poker. I mean, literally everybody loved poker. We used to play it all the time. We talked about it all the time. Uh, And I feel like that fad has sort of phased out, like poker sort of died. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Hit me up and let me know. But I just feel like poker sort of faded away. I can remember every network would have different poker tours on. And these guys were huge stars. I mean, huge stars. They were popping up in movies everywhere. These guys were larger in life. Phil Ivey, Phil Helmuth, Scotty Wynn. These guys, Johnny Chan famously appeared in a movie, which I'm going to play a clip for you. You guys may recognize this movie. Kids got alligator blood. Can't get rid of it. No, not tonight. <laughs> this son of bitch all night. He, chick, chick, chick. He trapped me. Thanks, uh, John Malkovich, and the stylings of Teddy KGB there from Rounders. Again, Rounders was released in 99, 2000 when the whole poker craze went on. And I don't know what happened. I guess people just lost interest in poker. It's not the fad that it used to be. It's not, it doesn't have that draw that it used to. I mean, I remember when they would shut down the main ESPN channel and all they would show was the final table. Now, this year they had it on ESPN 2 and it went extended. But I don't know. I couldn't get into it. And usually in the past, I've been able to. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think about that. We're still playing poker. We muse about it all the time. Like, oh, let's get a poker night together. But I can't remember the last time I played, to be honest. All right. I promised everybody that I was going to tell a story. (laughs) and I'm going to tell the story. So a lot of my friends are going to know this story. But you guys, let me know what you think. But it's related to golf. And I wanted to get into golf because we have the Open Championship. But before we get there, so it's the middle of the week. It's Wednesday. And I get a text from a friend of mine, and he's asking me if I can go out to golf. And he's going out for a special occasion on this day. And I was like, nah, I can't get off work, so I can't go out. Later that day, I get a text from him, and he says, so I got to tell you, right now, I'm on 18, and even if I get double par, I'll still shoot the best round of my life. But nobody's ever going to believe me. And he runs down a couple of his shots, and there's a couple extended text messages. My first question to him is, who are you playing with and where are you at? And his response is, I'm playing by myself. And then he sends some more about the round. And I say back immediately, you're right. Nobody's going to believe you. The thing is, I want to talk about, I don't know if anybody's golf by themselves, but golfing by yourself is great. However, you can't ever, <laughs> you can't ever, ever talk about the score. Quite frankly, if you golf by yourself, what I find myself doing a lot is dropping two balls, right? And hitting different shots from a different situation because keeping score doesn't matter. Whatever you shoot, nobody's ever going to believe it, right? Because this is what we do as friends. We compete and we, we make fun of each other, but nobody's ever going to believe your score when you play by yourself. Matter of fact, most of the time you play by yourself are two different situations. One, you know, our buddy here went out for his uh, birthday, not to give too much away, but I think his comment in the video section just did. Or you show up to a golf course and you're supposed to have somebody there to play with in a pair and they don't show up. That's happened to me twice. I can't be too harsh on people. I've pulled that before. Um, not to say I'm famous for it, but it has happened. I'm not proud of it. But I do feel like golfing by yourself is really good practice. And again, you'll see a lot of guys out there when they golf by themselves, they'll always tee off two balls or you play two balls because why not? I mean, if you have groups of foursomes and threesomes moving along, 
you might as well do it. You get to 100 yards out, you hit a punch chip, you hit a floater, you know, you get to your flop wedge out and try and flop it 100 yards in the air. So, you know, you do that kind of stuff. The golfing by yourself is good, but just keep in mind, don't ever, ever try and tell anybody to score because nobody's going to believe you. So the Open Championship third round was today. You know, the one thing that's kind of weird about the Open, and I'm all into golf, obviously, um, and it, like watching golf is great, but the problem with the Open Championship is across the pond, right? Because it just, it's tough. I got up this morning, and these guys are teeing off at 9, 10 o'clock because, you know, obviously across the pond there, it's 12, 1 o'clock, so they're, get, they're going off. Uh, so it's hard to keep up with some of the earlier rounds, but notables here, if anybody didn't catch up. So you've got three leaders right now at the top at minus nine. It's Kevin Kistner, Jordan Spieth, and Xander Schaffel, right? Weird name. Uh, they're all at minus nine. I think the biggest notables outside of there are Tiger, Rory, and Matt Kuchar are all at minus five. Tiger's playing really well. Everybody's excited. Uh, actually, I was out on the golf course earlier today for a brief stint, which ended up actually getting through 18 and before this rain and everybody out there was like, Oh, where's tiger at How's tiger doing And it's just funny to me how excited everybody gets when tiger plays well, because tiger is a star tiger brings you to golf. You either love them. You love to hate them or both. So it's good to see tiger relevant in the final round. Uh, he's got a little bit of work to do, but the open championship is always so interesting to me. Actually, we were talking about it today. Have you ever played a Lynx style course and the difference in that type of course versus other courses? If you're not into golf, it's not going to mean anything to you, but it, it's a totally different ball game playing a Lynx style course. Uh, somebody referred to the fairways almost like scorched earth, right? Like these guys are hitting 400 yard three woods because as soon as you hit the fairway, it just rolls like it's on concrete. The bunkers are ridiculous. You got guys chipping backwards to get out of a bunker just so they can go forward again. But that's that's a Lynx course, and that's why this championship is so great every year because it's something you don't typically get to see. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. I'd love to see Tiger make a push. Um, it's funny to me that a guy like Jordan Spieth can play well at a course like this because traditionally he's not – well, he's just not a long hitter, right? And traditionally these courses can favor guys uh, who can really mash the ball. But then again, you don't necessarily need to mash if you can keep the ball in the fairway here. Prof, it chimes in. Where is your co-host? Where are you, Prof? Are you at the wedding or what? Let the people know. I, I didn't give it away here before you got on, but you got to let the people know where you are. I, I'm not even sure right now. By the way, I didn't tell them what happened earlier. I was sort of alluding to it. I'll, I'll let you chime in on what happened. <laughs> All right, let's get into the meat here, like the real meat. NBA offseason. And we had a huge, huge move, and everybody's been talking about it all week. And I really wanted to get on today. This is one of the reasons I wanted to get on today to break this down. So Kawhi Leonard gets traded to the Raptors. And I don't think a lot of people saw this coming. Uh, the Raptors sort of came in out of nowhere and snatched him up, which is, I, I, after I see the deal, it's not out of the blue, but I was surprised. I was surprised for a couple of reasons. Let me give you the trade. And then I'm going to talk about what I see from each side of it. So the Spurs give up Kawhi and Danny Green. And what they get in return is DeMar DeRozan, Jacob Polt, who is a talented young center. And they get a first-round pick this year, 2019, if it's not in the top 20, so top 20 protected. If it is, if the Raptors somehow their pick falls into the top 20, it will revert to two second-round picks in 2020. 
I'm not exactly sure how that works. I guess the Raptors have two from a trade somewhere else. But so that's the deal in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Smitty. Yeah, we did. He uh he got fired today. Prof got fired. So let's talk about the deal itself. In it at its surface, right? The Spurs. Obviously, they had to move Kawhi. We've talked about this. Um, Prof's not on here to defend himself, but I sort of will for him because he's had some arguments with some FTH listeners about the Spurs and their leverage in this situation and what you can get back. Let's start at the top. Anytime, anytime. This is true anytime there's a deal in the NBA. First off, whenever you're making a trade, put yourself into a GM's shoes, right? Just think about this for a minute. If you're an NBA GM and you're going to trade with another team, there's never so, no such thing as a fair trade, right? There's always a winner and a loser, or most of the time, a perceived winner and a perceived loser, and then how the players end up playing in the new roles or how they work the salary caps or how everything shakes out. Then we end up finding out who the winner is. But nobody's in it to make a fair deal. Everybody's in it to get more out of the deal than they're, who they're trading with. That's just the bottom line. So now when you look at this deal, I think what Profit was saying is, You've got a lot of teams coming to the Spurs because if they can't move Kawhi by the trade deadline of the 2018-2019 season, he walks for nothing. He's already made that clear. So they do need to move him. However, the flip side of that, which some people have come to him about specifically, is, well, look, it's so early in the season and Kawhi Leonard's a top-five player. He's still a commodity, so they're still going to get a lot of value in there. But again, where I'm starting is you never get the full value of that player trading him for another star. It just doesn't happen because it can't. Who in this league would you offer up that could be the equivalent of Kawhi Leonard? There really isn't any. Kawhi for LeBron, Kawhi for Durant, right? I mean, you're talking about top five players in the league, and they, those deals just never happen. But from the Spurs side, they were able to move Kawhi and get back DeMar DeRozan, second-team All-NBA guy last year, right? He's a very good player. He's still three years under contract, so he's given the Spurs at least that star power on the court back and the play. Secondarily, they moved Danny Green, who is a good player. And he's not just a throw into this deal. And I'm going to talk about that on the Toronto side, why he's not. But they move him because, again, he opted into his contract for this year, which is $10 million, but he can walk at the end of this year. So, you know, I think the Raptors wanted him to deal specifically why. But they get, you know, this talented center back. Uh, we don't know what he is yet, but we'll see. So let's talk about the Raptors side. I actually tweeted about this right away when the deal happened. I was a little confused as to why the Raptors would do this until I got into this and broke it down because I look at it this way. The Raptors were the number one seed last year. DeMar DeRozan is their all-time leading scorer. He's probably the greatest Raptor in history, right? I mean, you could maybe say Vince Carter, but we can. I'll have that argument with you any day of the week, especially if you pull up numbers. DeMar DeRozan has been the star there for the last six, seven years. They've been a top team in the East. They couldn't get through LeBron, the beast that is LeBron in the East. He's gone. So off the bat, if you're Toronto and you stand packed or maybe at a free agent, you're really only dealing with Boston and Philly. And maybe you can get to the finals this year as constituted. But then when I start to look at the deal deeper, I see what they're doing and I actually really like it from their standpoint. So you move DeMar DeRozan who as much as they came out of the media and said they were behind him and said he could be the Kobe Bryant of Toronto, obviously they didn't think that that combo, and what they had was good enough to get him over the hump. So they bring in Kawhi Leonard, who 
as we just talked about, is clearly a better player than DeMar DeRozan. And that's no knock on DeRozan. He's Kawhi. He almost beat the Warriors two years ago by himself in the playoffs. So you bring him in, and the risk with bringing him in for every team, right, before this deal, because he's already said he wants to go to the Lakers, he wants to go to L.A., he's an L.A. guy, is that you're bringing him in for one year, and you're going to give up, mortgage your future for this year. Well, that's exactly what the Raptors are doing. They're going all in to get to the finals, and by getting Kawhi and how good he is, especially against the Warriors two years ago, if they get there and they go up against the Warriors, who knows, right? Maybe they can add another piece. Danny Green's inserted, inserted into the starting lineup. All of a sudden, this, this roster is better. It's flat out better. And the other thing about this now, if you really break down the roster and the, the, the moves, let's say Kawhi walks in the offseason. That's unfortunate for them, but they're planning for it because if Kawhi walks, they let Danny Green walk, they're going straight into the tank, straight into the tank. Start tanking because everybody on that roster then will be getting old, right? Like Serge, forget about it. The, the, the roster will just be done. So they're literally going all in and just saying, all right, this is the year. And if we can't get it done this year, that's it. We're going into the tank. We'll turn into the Magic or the Hawks or whoever else, and that'll be it. So I love it, quite frankly. I love that piece of it from their perspective. What I hate is what we've been talking about for the last couple of months or last year about the NBA is that the Warriors and LeBron going to the Lakers and the Rockets, these teams are forcing a team like Toronto, a perennial top three seed in the East the last five years, to make a move like this, grab Kawhi, go after it for one year, and then crumble if he leaves only because, as constituted, they weren't good enough. I think they had 56, 58 wins last year. But because the Warriors and the Rockets and these super teams keep sucking up all these players, they go and make a move like this. So on the one hand, I like that the Raptors did it because they were forced to, and that's what the NBA is now. But on the other hand, I just hate that that's what the NBA is. How could it be that a team like Toronto that wins so many games just has no chance of winning a championship? It sort of blows my mind in a way. But then again, the Warriors exist, right? And that's sort of the reason why LeBron went to L.A., we talked about it last week. I don't want to belabor it, but the Warriors exist. And until they don't, or somebody gets seriously hurt, or they start breaking up, I don't see any way they can be beat. Maybe through the Rockets adding. We don't know what's going on there, but it just is really striking to me that a deal like this with the magnitude of those players goes down given their contractual situations because of the state of the NBA. It's very fascinating to me. There's a deal and note I guess I'll throw in was... Carmelo got dealt to the Hawks for a couple guys, and then the Hawks are going to buy him out. So it looks like he's going to end up on the Rockets. Is that does that matter? I don't know. I talked about Melo last year a lot. I was sort of hard on him. I don't know what he has left in the tank. Um, I mean, Houston lost a big piece in Ariza, even though he's sort of a comp married player. He was an important player there, uh, and people are sort of pecking away at the Rockets roster. So Melo can certainly add some offense. I mean, he's still a gifted scorer, as Brett would say, gifted scorer. So, you know, maybe he gives them something there if he goes there, but I don't think that he's going to be a piece that puts them over the top. I know everybody keeps saying, well, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, they beat the Warriors. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things if, you know, whatever, that didn't happen. And Chris Paul and his health have been an issue for the last five years. So, and then out West, what's left? With Kawhi leaving, I don't think that the Spurs, I didn't think the Spurs roster was really great anyway. 
with Kawhi leaving the West for DeMar, they're going to be down. The Lakers getting LeBron, they should be up. But I think there's a lot of changes there to come. So I don't want to go into that too deep. We'll see what happens. But huge deal. Huge deal for the Spurs and the Raptors. Um, you know, I meant to find, and I was looking for Drake's reaction on social media. <laughs> I didn't see anything yet, but I'm very curious. You know, Drake is Mr. Raptor at the sideline game. So I'm really curious to see how he feels about it. Also figuring that he was probably close with DeMar. I saw today on Twitter, a lot of guys reacting for DeMar's trade. Like they stabbed you in the back, those sort of innuendos. I saw uh, Isaiah Thomas saying, you know, don't trust these front office guys. Uh, who else was on there? There was a couple other pictures of players on there that were sort of saying, you know, because he's hurt I and mean, the guy's hurt. He thought he was, like they said, could be the Kobe Bryant of Toronto and they build him up. They said they weren't going to trade him. Did it anyway. Crazy stuff. Um, let's let's talk some baseball. I got a couple couple baseball topics that I wanted to go through. The first one is the home run derby. So I saw a lot of vitriol on social media about people don't like the home run derby. If you don't like the home run derby, you don't like baseball. That's 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 it. If you can't if you don't want to sit down <laughs> and watch the home run derby then you don't like baseball. And that's fine, right? Everybody likes their different sports. You know, there's plenty of other things on television that night. But if you like baseball, you love the Home Run Derby. This year was fantastic. Think about it back when we were younger, right? Like my generation age, I'm 32. All the stars did it. McGuire, Griffey, Sosa, name them, right? Even up through for the Phillies over the years, Howard did it. Remember Bobby Abreu's crazy run that he went on that one year? Like, it's so entertaining. And the new format is fantastic, by the way. The timer is fantastic. The setup is fantastic. It's way better than the old 10 outs. I loved it. I thought it was great. Hoskins had a great showing for the Phillies. Bryce Harper was electric. Schwarber's a monster. It was awesome. Down to the end. I don't know how you could not be entertained by the home run derby. I loved it. One thing I did hear about the home run derby and obviously Bryce Harper won it in Washington, which is cool. I mean, that's really cool. I think the last time a home team guy won, it was like 1970 something. So before I was on this earth, pretty cool. But I heard a lot of people saying that Bryce Harper has increased value now because he won the home run derby. It's Bryce Harper. Name me a bigger name in baseball than Bryce Harper. And don't say Mike Trout. I didn't say name me a better player. I said, name me a bigger name. What we talk about with baseball is how they don't have enough stars. One thing that came up this week, I'll credit the Levitard show, they were talking about were there more stars in the 90s in football or baseball. Think about it like this. In the 90s, Jose Canseco was dating Madonna. Jose Canseco. These guys were huge. Griffey, McGuire, Frank Thomas, right? These dudes were monster, monster stars in the 90s. Everybody knew who they were. Football players, yeah, you had stars back then, but but I feel like base that was the baseball golden era, right before the steroid era. Bonds, these guys were huge stars. The league doesn't have that these days. And even if they do, right, your best player, we've talked about it, and it sort of was a feud this week I'm going to get into with MLB and the Angels. Mike Trout, he's not, he's not Bryce Harper in that Bryce Harper is sort of this over-the-top superstar Okay, uh, Smitty jumped. See, Smitty, you, you think he's a bigger name, though? He's, he's a better player. I give you that Trout's a better player. But Bryce Harper is Bryce Harper. I bet you, and they, they actually put a poll up, who's more recognizable? And Bryce Harper won the poll. 
if you had guys walking down the street, who do you think more non-baseball people would recognize, Bryce Harper or Mike Trout? Or the answer could be neither, too, right? And that's sort of the problem with baseball in this this star-plagued league. Look, we talked about the Manny Machado deal last week, and I'm going to go into that because we had an interesting development there. He got traded since we talked, and and right before I came on, I had a heated debate with somebody. But nobody knows who Manny Machado is outside of baseball. To me, I talked about it last week and his value at the power hitting from the shortstop position. He's the best shortstop in baseball for my money. But if he was walking down the street right now, nobody would know who Manny Machado is. It's just the way it is. These like baseball doesn't have stars. That well, yeah, you're right. So he says he's got a bigger mouth. Yeah, he does, and he's he's a superstar. Right, he's over the top. He's got the hair. He's all over the place. He's a more flashy. He does the bat flips. But sometimes baseball needs that kind of stuff. I mean, you so going back to the '90s and the guys in the '90s. Do you remember every everybody on here that's a kid from the '90s? or the early 2000s that watch baseball could do, you do different batting stances, remember? You could do the Griffey, right? Like the stand-up. I mean, back to like Crock. You knew everybody's batting stance back in the 90s because these guys were larger than life. Like baseball was just so much bigger. <laughs> yeah, but Buha, Buha's so important. The profit's so important down in Arsenal, right? Uh, but yeah, like that's my point is these guys were stars in the nineties and don't tell me that because Bryce Harper won the home run derby, it's increasing his value. Look, he's having a terrible year offensively, but he's still going to get a huge contract, a 500, 600, $700 million contract from a team wherever he wants to go or stay in Washington because he's Bryce Harper. He's a superstar. He's put up ridiculous numbers throughout his career. He's having one bad year. So I don't, I don't believe that him winning the home run derby increases value. But I will tell you, it was awesome to see him in it. And the one thing that derby didn't really have, and I don't know if it's because of a lack of stars in Major League Baseball overall or just the fact that some of the stars didn't do it, but they, it didn't really have stars. I mean, he was by far the biggest star there. I guess maybe Schwarber was the second biggest star there, but is he a star only because the Cubs won the World Series last year? Yeah. I, all right. Yeah. Nick says I say terrible, but the uh, prof, but, but he is still going to hit 40 bombs. He's not hitting for good average, right? His OPS is way down. I think he's hitting like 220, maybe less. Yeah. He's still got power. I, I'm not saying he's terrible. I'm saying terrible by his standards, right? I mean, two years ago, he had one of the best se- series in, or seasons in baseball history offensively, right? I mean, that's the kind of player that he is. That's the kind of talent he is. He's just having a down year for him. I don't mean terrible overall. I'm not saying he's terrible. He's far from it. But I'm sure we'll have that debate more in the offseason, you know, when we start to see where he's going. So speaking of, Prof, you should pay attention to this. And everybody that watched last week's show needs to pay attention to this. So literally, about 15 minutes before I was getting ready to start the show, I get a text, and a fan is supporting the Prof and his take last week on shortstops and the offensive production. So he actually lays out a list for me. I mean, let me pull up my phone here because I want to be correct in some of the names that he names. So he says there's more guys with pop. Well, he actually didn't say pop. He says that are providing offense from shortstop than you think, agreeing with profit. He gives me a list. And I'll read you guys the top piece of the list here. So obviously, prof brought up Correa and Singer or Seeger. So you got Segura, Baez, and Bogarts. We'll stop there. There's a bunch of other guys in here. He threw Galvis in to try and grind me up. I didn't take the bait, which is pretty funny. Um, but so I went, 
how I started to break them down. First, just look at the top, right? Now, I know Seager's hurt this year. This is going to be something that we start to debate in the future. Obviously, now, since Machado got traded to the Dodgers, is what do they do when Seager comes back? Because, to me, Machado's a better player. Uh, he's a shortstop. He's not going to want to move. I know from experience. <laughs> Shortstops don't want to move off a shortstop. You got to drag him away. And he's Manny Machado. So if the Dodgers pursue keeping him, what's going to happen there? Let's push that aside, right? Let's forget about that. Let's just think they brought him in anyway. So we started with Segura. So I started right there. I said, hey, Segura has seven home runs this year and 11 last year. Yeah, he's hitting 300. He's an all-star. He's a good player, and he's a good offensive player. But he's not providing that power. He's got some pop. Not Machado. Machado is a power-hitting shortstop. Machado has 24 home runs already this year. He had 24 last year. Segura, the most he has in his career is 20. So there you go. I didn't go through like all the guys' names, but even when I looked at Baez's numbers, Baez, again, not hitting home runs. I think he had 11 last year. Yeah, these guys get on base. They hit for average. I'm sure they, they hit doubles, they slog. They're, they're great offensive players, certainly. And by the way, all three of those guys that we just named are all all-stars. So yeah, obviously the top of the top. But even going through the top of the top, it's not the power numbers aren't there. That's what I'm saying. The power numbers, home runs, RBIs, right, provided at critical premium defensive positions. Catcher, shortstop, second base, center field. When you get that there, that's why these guys are. That's why Manny Machado is Manny Machado. That's why he's so big of a free agent. It's because of that. But I wanted to tell that story because it was awesome. I love people hitting me up and having a debate about the content from the last show. Profit, that's a, a check for you almost. You got yourself a supporter there. Uh, I don't know if he wants me to name him, but uh, I'm sure he'll tune in and, and get a hold of it. But I thought it was really interesting and I love that stuff. Just a reminder, guys, literally anytime. You guys hear something like that, and it fires you up, fire at us. Fire us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, text us. I love that stuff, man. That, that's what this is all about. It's all about debating these kinds of things. I mean, Prof and I went at it last week. It's the first show we really did. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Before I close down here, I did just want to reveal what happened earlier today. Um, we got Profit onto the golf course. He lost to Swags. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much more detail about that, but he lost. Uh, it ended up being a, a convincing victory. I didn't play well. I would tell you that, Prof, you played well for your first time out uh, You know, in a while. I didn't play well. I was there for the taking today. Next time, I probably won't be there for the taking, but you said two more weeks and you can beat me. It was fun. We got it in before the rain. That's it. I want to thank everybody for jumping on, sharing your, your comments. For the folks to text in, again, special thanks to Brad. I want to see text messages or uh, shots on social media for everybody who knows the story. I was telling the story about it earlier, the golf story. And remember, guys, this will be up on our platforms if you didn't get a chance to see it. On Facebook Live, that's YouTube, that's the iTunes podcast application, and that's SoundCloud. Please. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. Share it with your friends and family. Help us out. That's it. From the hill is a rat. Swags. <laughs>